Welcome to Real Estate Investing in the Real World Podcast. The topic of this episode is the art of getting offers accepted so you can do more deals. And this is a crucial skill that real estate investors must possess. The great news is it's not that complicated. You can learn. So I'm going to share with you what to say, what not to say, how to approach the offer, how to present the offer so that you have the best chance possible of getting it accepted. Since I'm going to be asked this question, if you are submitting an offer through a real estate agent on a listed property, that really isn't what I'm talking about in the art of getting offers accepted, but I'm going to briefly share with you what that looks like. So if the property is listed, there's really no art to it. The higher the price you have in your offer, the financing being ideally all cash, secondary would be conventional, worst would be FHA. The shortest closing date with the least, if not no contingencies, and that's pretty much going to win every time. This is how Wall Street is buying Main Street right now with this little formula right here. No art to it. But if you're dealing with a property that doesn't have 15 other offers on it, if it's a unique property and you're the only offerer, the other thing to add into this, and this is not what real estate agents want you to know, and that is if you can connect with the seller. So... If you're a licensed agent like I am, um, I can't go directly to that seller if I'm a buyer because I might be breaking some sort of code of ethics with the Realtor Association, that kind of thing. But if you're not a licensed agent, there's no law, there's no rule, there's nothing that says you can't contact that seller directly. And that can make a world of difference because not only do we lose in translation some of the negotiations, real estate agents are notorious for screwing these things up. I am a licensed agent, as I said, for 17 years, okay? So I know what I'm talking about. And yes, I, I know that that is an insult to some real estate agents, and it should be. Some of you all know exactly what I'm talking about. So number one, when the agents are in the middle, sometimes things get lost in translation. Sometimes it's just the incompetence of the agents. And if you can just get in connection directly with that seller, you can clear up some of the confusion. And maybe the seller doesn't want a quick closing date, or maybe they want to keep the washer and dryer. So if you do have a circumstance that's not a multiple offer situation, although this is not much of an art, if you can connect directly with the seller, sometimes you have a better chance. And I know that others have used the technique of having their buyer write out a letter that they submit to the seller to pull at their heartstrings. Again, none of that matters when you have a multiple offer situation and Wall Street's coming in, paying more, all cash, closing in two weeks with no contingencies. All the heartstring pull in the world doesn't matter. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's talk about what's most important, and that is the art of getting your offers directly to sellers, getting those accepted. When trying to get offers accepted by off-market sellers, these are people that have not hired a real estate agent, the property is not listed, you're working directly with the seller, you want to follow the following seven-step process. Step number one is instant response. So you're generating seller leads. As soon as that lead comes in, respond immediately. And if you can't talk, send a text. The faster you respond, the better. It's a small thing, but it makes a huge impact. And you know this to be true in your own life. You work with companies and with people who respond to you fastest. Do the same thing here. Respond immediately. 
Step two is to meet in person. So if you instantly respond and you may talk to this person, the goal there is to figure out if they're truly a seller. They own the property, they have the ability to sell the property, are they interested in selling the property? Just some of the basics. And the more information you can get over the phone, the better. But at the end of the day, you don't want that information to lead you to not meet the person in person because, oh, it's kind of a long drive and, oh, you know, they may not be that motivated to sell. You need to meet with them in person. It makes a huge impact. We've learned this over all these years, especially in the world we live in today where so much of it is socially distanced. When you can meet in person, it's going to help you with the other steps. And so don't push this off. And I see this a lot where people are worried about spending money on gas and it's a long drive. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the business you're in. These are the deals that make twenty, fifty, dollars $100,000. Okay, it's going to cost a little bit in gas to drive over there. The numbers are huge in form of profits. That's just a cost to do in business. Step three is to build rapport. People do business with people they like. And people trust people they like. And I can't stress this enough, that when you're working directly with off-market sellers they constantly have in their mind that you might be a shark, you might be a vulture, and ultimately you may be trying to take advantage of them. So it is so important that you continue to build trust. And to build trust means to build rapport. So yes, it helps with that first impression of an instant response. It's certainly very helpful if you can meet in person. Some of you are saying, Phil, what if I'm dealing with a long distance seller? Okay, well then maybe you do a FaceTime, maybe you do some video chat when you're looking at the property. But then this part about building rapport, a lot of real estate investors simply don't do this. Either they don't learn the skill or they just don't bother doing it. Either way, this is a critical mistake if you don't build rapport with that seller, or at least do your very best to do so. Because otherwise, what will happen is the rest of these steps won't necessarily work as well, and ultimately you'll get dropped right into this. Even though it's an off-market deal, you'll get dropped into price financing, closing date, and contingencies. We want to stay out of that realm, and, you, and that really happens when you build rapport. Now, how do you build rapport? That is a very expansive topic, something I go into great detail with my apprentices, but there are different resources that you can learn from on this subject. I mean, from how to mirror their body language, mirroring their, their actual language, all the way to finding some common ground. Right, So if they've got a Trump sticker on their car, talk about how great Trump is and he's coming back. Or, or if, uh, if you've got a Biden sticker, talk about how great life is with Biden. Whatever it is, find some common ground. And so that you can begin to let them put their guard down a little bit. Because ultimately what you're trying to do is almost become a consultant where you better understand their situation so that you can custom tailor an offer that is going to be most likely to be accepted. Step four is arguably the most artistic part of this seven step process. So you're gonna ask strong questions and then you're gonna actively listen. So what I mean by strong questions is everything from what they're looking to accomplish from when they want to move, where they're going, what they're going to do with the money, and all those details to asking questions that create a level of doubt or uncertainty in the seller's mind about the state of the property without sounding like a sleazeball. So what I mean by that is, for example, asking the seller the question, do you know if there's any termite damage in this property? Of course they're going to say no. 
when you bought the property seven years ago, did you get a termite inspection? Oh, I believe so. I don't remember. Okay, well, um, have you paid for a monthly or yearly termite contract with a pest control company? No, I haven't. Gotcha. Okay, so we don't know the state of the termites. Okay, gotcha. So that, what we just did there was we asked strong questions to develop a bit of uncertainty in the seller's mind about the property situation. And you can do that over and over and over again. So another example would be, do you have a survey for this property? I don't know. I don't even know what a survey is. Okay, so we don't know if that fence over there is encroaching on the neighbor. We don't know that for sure. Okay, gotcha. So what we're doing is we're developing this stack of uncertainty without doing it in such a way where we might even insult the seller. Because you don't want to do that. Remember, we have to keep this fragile rapport. And, and part of these, these uh, strong questions obviously build more rapport, especially when you actively listen. Actively listening. For us guys, gentlemen, y'all are probably pretty bad at it, and you're, the women in your life can tell you that. But this means not only hearing what they say, but following up questions based on what they said. And that does build a lot of rapport. You'll be surprised how often, if you do this, that people think you're such a great person, but all you did was listen carefully, ask questions, and they did most of the talking. So you want to both figure out their circumstances, because that's going to play a key role in the way in which you submit the offer or offers you're going to make to them, but also so that you can cast some doubt on the property. You know, and that's where you say, okay, well, earlier you said to me that you were asking 150000 Where did you come up with that number? Where's that come from? Oh, well, that's because my neighbor sold. Oh, which neighbor? Was it, was it that one there? Because that one there, the research I did, they sold for 120 They were asking 150 but they actually sold for 120. You, you, but I, I'm assuming you knew it. That must be a different house, though. You're probably talking about a different one. And so now, all of a sudden, you, what you're doing is you're getting deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole of creating doubt, creating certainty, while at the same time not going so far as being a jerk about it. Now, this is also an opportunity right here to do a couple of don'ts. Because I have found that, this surprises me, but I have found people do this. So building rapport and then asking strong questions does not mean that you're going to praise the property. It doesn't mean you're going to say, wow, what kind of wood is that, is that mantle made out of? Oh, I'm glad you asked. This came from my grandfather. He chopped it down. He went in the woods. Wow, that's valuable. That's brilliant. I love that mantle. Don't do that, right? Or if they go on a tangent and the seller says, you know what I was going to do? I was going to knock out this wall. I was going to add a bathroom here. I was going to do this. But you know, I mean, my wife and I are just kind of struggling right now, but we're going to do this. Don't say, wow, that was a great idea. Y'all should have done that. Yeah. Don't praise the property. Don't go down that road. You don't need to go that road to still build rapport and, and to ask strong questions. I mean, you could ask, oh, uh, out of curiosity, why didn't you end up knocking the wall out? Oh, well, we didn't have the money. Oh, okay. But you didn't praise. You didn't say, wow, that was brilliant. Um, you, you want to be careful here because obviously we don't want to in any way, shape, or form mislead or lie to the seller. But the problem is, is if you praise certain things, you may actually be doing that. 
Like, that's a great idea when it really isn't a good idea. You're just trying to build rapport, because Phil said number three, build rapport. So you start praising their good ideas, but that was misleading, because it wasn't a good idea. It was terrible. Okay, so you're asking strong questions, you're actively listening, but you're not praising the property. Step five is to present indisputable facts. This is information that impacts the sellability of that property and it's completely indisputable and it applies to whoever may buy the property, you or anybody. So you're able to say that kind of phrase, whether I buy it or anybody buys it. If you're selling this property, these are some things that you're going to need to keep in mind. These are indisputable facts. So if they showed these facts to an attorney, a real estate agent, a judge, another buyer, anyone, they can't dispute the validity of the facts. And what those facts do is they go from simply laying the groundwork here to really setting a foundation on why your offer is going to make sense because you're presenting information that they're going to have to contend with. And so whether it be some of the uncertainties, uh, whether it be in, in the termites and the survey, uh, whether it be that that roof leak could have caused mold up in the attic, whether it could be the fact that, hey, this entire neighborhood is having problems whereby the, the sewer lines are all having to be replaced. You've probably seen it up and down this road. I'll give you another example of a, a current deal right now that one of our apprentices is working on. It's on, uh, it's on the lake in Wisconsin, and there's been massive erosion. And the neighbor that was lakefront is gone now, and that land is gone, and now it's encroaching on what is now the seller's property. See, that is an indisputable fact. This was on the news. The seller tried to tell my apprentice, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> of course, the uh, apprentice is like, well, it was on the news the other night. Here's the link. So presenting indisputable facts that help with your offer. Another thing is going to be comparable sales, if those are helpful. In today's market, it's not always that helpful, right? I mean, there's, a, there's multiple offer situations all over the place. But if the seller has already mentioned a neighbor's house, sometimes you can do more research and you can refute what they thought was fact. Because a lot of times what a property is listed for doesn't actually sell for, even in today's market, even in multiple offer situations. So present indisputable facts that is going to help lay the foundation for why your offer makes sense. And again, this is another topic that I could go on for a very long time, but certainly for brevity, I'm not going to be able to dial all that in. That's something in my apprentice program we go into great, great detail. This right here is so critical to the negotiation because it sets it at a principled negotiation versus a straight line negotiation. The difference is with straight line negotiation, they want 150, you want 100, and you go back and forth and you maybe end up with 125 in the middle. A principled negotiation is not 150 versus 100, it is what can this property truly sell for once it's all fixed up? What needs to be done for it to get fixed up? Plus all the time and, and all the expertise in order to accomplish that. And so now it's a principled negotiation. So step five, present indisputable facts. Step six is, I know it's a little old school to talk about radio, WIIFM radio. Do you know what that station's all about? It's about what's in it for me, meaning me as in the seller. What is your offer going to do for them? Not for you, for them. I so often see where investors, when they present offers, they'll say phrases like, I'm going to need to offer you 120000 because I need some room in the deal to make this work. 
They don't care about what you need. They care about what they need, what they want. So present the offer in such a way where it speaks to what you learned was important to them. So you say, look, uh, uh, Sally, you had shared with me that you don't exactly have a place to move into yet. So one of the things we can do for you, my assistant and I, can help you find a place. I can't promise we're going to find exactly what you love, but you may find it. But we'll, we'll give you as much help as we can to help you find that place. And what that also means is, I don't want to pressure you on a closing date. I mean, I know you're worried about that. Like, well, you know, if we close in three weeks, you have to get out in three weeks. Let's make that flexible, right? So I can set the closing date here on the contract for 45 days, give us plenty of time. If you want to move, uh, if you want to move out and you find the right deal and we help you with that and you can, you can move out in 20 days, maybe we can close that early. What if we find a place and you need an extra week or two to move out? We can be flexible with that too. I just want you to feel comfortable with this because this is why you're working with a real estate investor like me. A lot more flexibility here. You're not constricted like you normally would be. How's that sound? Boy, that sounds a lot better than, this is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need 45 days. It's what's important to them, okay? So, WIIFM Radio. Now, what we do oftentimes is we'll, we'll submit more than one offer. And again, I don't have time to go through all the logistics of that, but where we give them an option. Because that also helps them decide. And it doesn't make them feel like we're selling them, but they feel like they've made the decision. It was their idea. They wanted this offer, not that offer. And moreover, it allows them to feel like they're making a decision, but all roads still lead back to us. I think that's a critical component here. Part of this WII FM radio is the fact that if they are evaluating your offer with three other investors, it's not nearly as effective as if they're evaluating two of your offers and there are three of your offers and trying to decide. And of course, you're working your way and helping explain to them what all that means. So if you can tailor your language to what's in it for them, if you can help them feel like it's almost their decision on what happens, then you go a long way toward getting things accepted. And you, again, you can use this technique in every aspect of your life. That is a key component of persuasion, that you share what's in it for that individual. Now, you might say, but Phil, how do I do this if I don't know what they want? Exactly. You've got to find out, you know, you've got to find out things about that individual so that you can do this. This radio station's always fuzzy if you have no idea who you're dealing with. Step seven is to follow up. Now, what some do is here in step six, when they're presenting their offer or offers, they tell the seller that they have to decide right then and there. And that if they don't, their offer disappears. And you can do that if you'd like. I think it depends on the circumstances, which is why we use the word art. I think it depends because in some instances, if you take that bullish of approach, sometimes they'll recoil and they won't be as, as open because you've been so flexible and open all this time, even so different than every other investor they've met with. But then all of a sudden, at the very end, you're going to pull the whole, hey, if you don't sign here on the dotted line, I'm out, my offer goes, this is all over. So we do set a deadline. When I submit offers, I say, look, I've got other people I'm connecting with. There's other commitments I may make to make, so I can't keep this thing wide open. But if it doesn't sound like you're ready to make a decision right this moment, I can leave this open for one day. And uh, feel free to call me and, and let me know if you have any questions. So I yes, of course we try to get them to sign right then and there. That is much better to get them to make that decision. But you've got to be careful there. You've got to be able to determine if that's going to push it too far.
And also it, it does depend on if they're talking to a lot of other investors. If you know they're talking to a lot of investors, that's when you might want to do that tie down because you know if you leave it up open for a day, then those other investors are going to swoop in. One of the things I also do, if I know there are other investors involved and they will not sign on that dotted line at that moment when I do the WIIFM radio presentation, then I tell them that I have a best offer guarantee. And that if someone else offers more or a different uh, arrangement, maybe it's not more money, but it's a different arrangement, I can not only match but beat that. And so I'm able to do that as well as kind of a, almost an insurance policy, but it doesn't always work. So when in doubt, the better thing to do is get them to sign right then and there. But step seven is about follow-up. Follow-up is arguably the most profitable thing you can do as a real estate investor. Of all the things you can do all day, following up with leads where you presented offers is probably the most valuable time you can, you can have in a week. Because the deals that you actually went through the rest of this process and made an offer, if your offer didn't get accepted, either one, because they went with somebody else, or, or two, because you simply couldn't get to where they wanted to be, by following up, maybe you can. Maybe you can make some adjustments to your offer. Maybe the, the market is different than you thought it was. Follow-up is so critical to getting more deals. The, you'll get more offers accepted in follow-up than, than everything else combined. Because a lot of things happen. Other investors flake out on these people. They change their mind. They have situations occur that they need something different. And if you just put your head down and, and sulk because you didn't win here at step six, you're missing the boat. Follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Or as Zig Ziglar used to say, the fortune is in the follow-up. All right, y'all. Well, this is the seven-step process to getting more of your offers accepted by off-market sellers. And also, you heard me mentioning about my apprentice program. That's where my uh, coaching team and I, we work with beginners, intermediates, even experts, and we turn them into market-leading, money-making machines, the finest real estate investors in North America. Many of the most successful investors out there in the marketplace today got their start with me and my team. So you'll be working with the very best if you're able to get into our apprentice program. Also, if you haven't already gotten it, I have a book I wrote, How to Be a Real Estate Investor, which lays down a lot of the fundamentals, and I give those away for free as well.